and welcome to episode 84 of the BMcast, not a podcast that features a guest with an adorable cat and then monetizes them by adding a picture of them into the show notes for patrons only, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I'm joined not only by the scrap welder herself, Nima, but I'm also joined by a recurring guest of the show. They're a writer for Trek and also their number one fanboy, the Pokemon master himself, Angelo Guerrera, aka the Jess Guy. How are you doing today, bud? Hi. I'm doing pretty well, thanks for asking. Today, the day of recording, is Pokemon Day. Game Freak teased the two new Pokemon games, along with the three new starter Mm, Pokemon, which are absolutely adorable. Mm -hmm. So that was a great way to start my morning. Um, I'm also currently apartment hunting, because my landlord is selling my apartment in a few months. So, like, that's not great, and that's been stressful, but Mm. we're hoping to get a bigger place. So, nice. yeah, hopefully that'll be a positive... Out of a negative, fingers crossed. But in terms of magic, I finally foil out the Innistrad cube. Oh. Uh-huh. I'm working on foiling all of the basics. Uh, and so that, yeah. that's been, like, taking up all of my my magic brain for since mm-hmm. Midnight Hunt. So since October. <laughs> but Kamigawa... Uh, it's sad, sad to leave Innistrad, but Kamigawa's been great. Not a whole lot of commanders for me, but a lot of upgrades mm-hmm. in terms of the 99. So those have been awesome and new capenna in april really excited for that and yeah i had an article come out this week on streffen mauer oh. and uh how he's a much more interesting vampire commander than edgar markov and if you're interested mm-hmm. in my hot take on that uh make sure you go check out eda trek it's right up on there uh but yeah how about you emma how's everything yeah not too bad been busy because i have also moved so I can join you on the moving uh, part of it. Um, so yeah, I haven't done a lot because uh, I've been too busy like packing and unpacking and playing Tetris with my furniture and so forth. <laughs> in terms of magic, I've just picked up some Kamigawa Neon Dynasty cards for Cube, which are still in their packet. I haven't even attempted to open it and update my Cube. In like in between that, I've played a little bit of Octopath Traveler for a few hours, and I'm about halfway through like getting the main characters. And I guess there's eight of them because it's in the name, right? There's Octopath, which is eight. So I've got four of them. So I assume there's four more to get. Um, still really great. I love the music. Kind of excited just to sit in and just like dedicate some actual time to it and play it for like five six hours straight. Um, so hopefully I can do that soon. Mm. Otherwise, on TCG Player. I've got a article up this week about budget pickups from Kamigawa Neon Dynasty because there's a lot of good stuff, like from commons to uncommons to mythics. A lot of stuff's pretty affordable. Um, to be honest, mm. I might do a second one because there's just so much stuff, but check that out on yeah. TCG Player now. And if I'm feeling generous, I might do a second one. How's Scott? How's Scott been this recently? Scott has been all right, yeah. Um, as far as like content stuff outside of the podcast, I had a neat little article out this week as well all about dealing with treasures in commander like they're everywhere there's no avoiding them at this point so it's all about how to make sure that you can either keep them in check or keep up with them so that's live now on card kingdom you can go check that out after the show i have also been building some new commander decks with neon dynasty legendaries uh, the two that i am building are uh, tameshi reality architect and uh, Kosei, Penitent Warlord. So one is more of a sort of artifact enchantment, self-bouncy, controly kind of thing. I know people are trying to lean into combo and stacks with it. I'm just trying to take a normal number of game actions and have fun with it. Mm-hmm. 
the other one the Kosei deck is all about the commander where if it's enchanted equipped and has a counter on it it gets whenever it deals combat damage to an opponent you draw that many cards and it deals that much damage to each other opponent so it's very much Voltron feels very mono red in a way and I love kind of color pie bend commanders like that so that is another one that I'm playing around with both feel amazing uh, we might talk about them at some later point, but uh, they're still sort of in the brew stage at the moment. But I've also finally ordered my last Urza Saga for the playset. So once it gets here, my Modern Affinity deck will be fully built. Yay. And I know the sagas are pricey, but the difference they make in Affinity in particular is astounding. Mm-hmm. Like, play a land and then, you know, it'll probably give you two 1010s. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's been real good as well in terms of playing games and stuff i'm stuck in, in sort of limbo at the moment because elden ring is out but mm. my paycheck isn't so <laughs> i have to wait i have to unfortunately wait until i get that and even then i don't think my pc can run it oh, so wow. i'm probably gonna have to run on the ps4 which yeah. let's be real i'm not particularly picky if it just runs fine then i'm kind of happy with it i don't really care for housekeeping emma we got anything yeah, so we'd like to give a warm welcome to Desmond Ramirez, who is the latest patron of the Cheering Fanatic tier. So thank you very much, Desmond, and enjoy those stocks. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. Not only will you get access to all of the show notes and deck lists, but you get to listen to the new episodes a day earlier than anyone else. Visit patreon.com forward slash the BM cast to join today. There are also free ways to support them too. Just listening to the show is already great. You can follow them on their Twitter at the BMCast as well, and even DM them for a link to the Discord server. No matter your budget, we'll make sure you get your stonks on. All right. Angelo, since you are back on with us, and we have done Card of the Week every single week since you were last on. Yep. It is your turn again. Have you got one? Yes. So we'll be talking about a board wipe relatively soon, but I want to talk about a good board wipe before we get into that. Uh, And that card is by invitation only. Uh, It's from Crimson Bow. It's a five mana sorcery, uh, three generic, two white. And you pick a number between zero and 13, and each player sacrifices that many creatures. The non-foils are 50 cents, and the foils are 75. It's just one of those board wipes that can act as a board wipe for most decks. If you just want a five-mana board wipe, you could always just say 13, and you'll probably hit, you know, all creatures on the board outside of uh, token decks. But for more aggressive decks, or for token decks specifically, being able to change the number really gives you additional play it can if mm. if you have five creatures compared to someone else's three you name three you still have two creatures left over there there's a stigma that i see a lot where people go oh well i'm playing a creature deck i'm not going to play any board wipes uh, no you should probably at least in my opinion probably play like three board wipes per deck anyway because mm-hmm. even if you're a creature deck at some point someone's going to get ahead of you in any game like, it might not happen every game, but it, it's good to have that kind of backup. Yeah. You know, we, we have single combat in Divine Reckoning, and 
by invitation only is just another tool for those kinds of creature-based decks to have another board wipe. And, Mm -hmm. you know, 50 cents is a really great price for that kind of effect, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a real good one. When you'd mentioned some of those other board wipes there, like Divine Reckoning and Single Combat, it's slightly off topic, but another one that has popped up recently that I've been playing around with in my Velomachus Lorehold deck that has been incredible is Promise of Loyalty. Yes. So, four and a white, sorcery. Each player chooses one of their creatures and puts a loyalty counter on it and then destroys all the rest. And the ones with loyalty counters can't attack you. Yep. It's not must attack other opponents if able. If you're the last person left and your opponent, their commander, has a loyalty counter on it, they still just can't attack you. Yep. Just full stop. It's really good. Or Planeswalkers you control, which is important because I play that in Jeru. I wipe the board and no one can start hitting the walkers either. Nice. Yeah. See, I thought you were going to say Razia's Purification. I'm like, whoa, that is way much more aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) For for those who don't know, you pick three of your permanents and sack the rest. Uh, It's a Boros card. Yeah, it's really mean. Mm. Yeah, no, no, not so much. Don't be mean in Commander, according to Angela. Yeah. Oh, no, we'll we'll talk about that more later in the show. (laughs) Yes. We will indeed. Absolutely. Speaking of, let's move on. We are going to be talking today about Commander and Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, just in general. I don't know about the two of you, I'll find out your opinions on this now, but I think for Commander, this set is really, really, really interesting. Angela, what do you think? Yeah, I think Kamigawa, outside of a couple of cycles or a couple of cards, does a really good job at pushing very specific strategies. There aren't a whole lot of ubiquitous cards, um, you know, aside from the channel lands. Those are, you know, everyone knows those, you know, those will go in every deck. But a lot, you know, a lot of these cards and these strategies, you know, you'll help artifact decks, equipment decks, aura decks, enchantment decks, one-on-one counter decks. Like, there isn't anything, again, outside of a couple of outliers that is for everything. And... I think that's a good thing at this point in the format where a lot of the the big name stuff is already very well defined and they don't need more ubiquitous stuff. We need much more focused, like archetypical kind of cards and and strategies. And I think this set really like helps with that. And I'm I'm really happy to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm inclined to pretty much agree exactly for that one for sure what about you Emma what are you thinking I think I'm feeling similar like, admittedly I'm not in franchising commander compared to yourself and Angelo however it just mm-hmm. seems like um, even at all rarities there's just something for everyone which is really really good you're not forcing you're not forced into buying these really expensive splashy mythics mm. there's like commons and uncommons that are really good like the signpost um, uncommons that discount enchantments artifacts and so forth they just go yeah. in every artifact matters or enchantment deck right and they're going to be absolutely nothing to buy, pay for right mm-hmm. it's just a lot of nice flavors and a lot of nice nods and just it just overall just seems really good like, I think Kamigawa Neon Dynasty is probably one of the more powerful and influential sets in recent times and I mean that in a good way not in a 
throwing a bell drain way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think one thing that I had pointed out in the BMCast Discord there recently enough was that I feel an awful lot of this set's power is focused pretty heavily around the sort of uncommon level Mm -hmm. as opposed to the rare mythic level, which means that it has a tendency to include more strong role players within, like you were saying, Angelo, like archetypes and Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. So it, it makes some decks that were like just a little bit shy of being quote-unquote good because you know good is subjective in commander it it gives them more tools to be able to do the thing they want to do and that kind of set is my favorite kind of set yeah also you've got some fun legendaries to build around as well like you've got Mm inshim which is a really fun sort of aggressive commander which is really nice to see as well where you focus on combat damage and whatnot for sure. Actually, I was only playing on a stream there uh, last week on Tori of the Vast stream, and Clay B from CNC Power was playing an Ishin deck, yeah. and it was great. It was really, really fun. Mm. So, to give a little bit more structure to the conversation, we've put together a couple of cards that we're going to sort of highlight and talk about a little bit. Um, and it, it could be for different reasons, both good, bad, and uh, somewhere in the middle. So, Let's start off, first of all, let's talk about Farewell. So if you don't know what the card does, it's four white-white for a sorcery that reads, choose one or more. Exile all artifacts, exile all creatures, exile all enchantments, and exile all graveyards. Now, Angela, we'll start with you. (laughs) Alphabetically, you're first. So (laughs) what, what are your thoughts on Farewell? As a control player, I love it. It's great. It answers all the things I needed to answer, and it answers them permanently, and it's very flexible. It's just a very powerful card. And in that context, I like it. When looking at a more of a commander context as opposed to just me looking at it myself, I think that this might be a response to giving white powerful cards, and I think it might be going about it in like the wrong kind of way where Mm. there isn't any interesting kind of gameplay tension here um you get to choose as many modes as you want it gets Mm. rid of everything permanently like again both of these things are strong but compare it to merciless eviction which is already a very good board wipe in two colors and you only get to pick one mode And, and most of the modes are the same except i think you swap exiling graveyards for exiling planeswalkers that card already has a bit of a reputation as a card that just kind of dunks on very specific strategies if you're against an enchantress deck you take them out of the game if you're against an artifact deck you just take them out of the game creature decks can usually recover fairly well but at least there there's the tension of oh well there's a lot of really good artifacts on the board but there's also a lot of really good creatures what what do the three of you think I need to take care of? Yeah. Or, you know, it just, it provides another decision point. Yeah. And having yeah. a card that hits everything with no decision points, I think isn't good card design. And I don't, I think this card's mm-hmm. going to be misused more than it will be used correctly. And that's going to lead yeah. to a lot of bad games, in my opinion. Yeah. I just don't know a white deck that doesn't run this. Yeah. 
It's like austere command, but kind of better. It's that versatile, right? You can either choose all, or you can choose like one or two. Like, there's no downside to running it, right? Mm-hmm. If you want a board wipe in Commander, right? It just seems really. I don't know. It just takes away the decision making, and like, yep. I understand yeah. giving more choice to players is good, but that choice is also I may as well just do everything, right? <laughs> like. Yeah. It's not a choice at that point. It's just too much. Like, Merciless Eviction is a great example. Like, that is... I think that's how you should design it. You should like, pick one or two, not one mm-hmm. or all of them. It's like, the fact that you can pick all of them just seems so absurd, and it's, what, six mana? Mm-hmm. As well? Yeah. It just seems ridiculous. Yeah, like, if you had changed the word more, so if it was one or more, and changed it to one or two... Yeah, like, two would be or, fine. Or two, two. Yep. That would be perfectly fine because you like that, like you said, you have a choice to make. You can't just answer everything. And while I do understand that there is still a decision point here and it is a different one to the likes of Merciless Eviction in the sense of like, do I hit graveyards? Do I not hit graveyards? Do I hit Mm -hmm. enchantments? Do I not? You do still have that decision point. But like you said, it's kind of pointless, really, because well, it's not that it's pointless. It's more that like, like you said Angelo players are going to misuse this and they're going to go well I may as well hit the artifacts and I may as well hit the enchantments mm-hmm. and the graveyards there's no and the- downside to it that's what I hate you're not punished for if you have a decision where you can do all those things mm. there should be a downside regardless mm-hmm. of colour there should be some sort of downside and there isn't yeah, I- and I understand what's you want players to have more decisions or more options in their games right they want to feel, make them feel more involved great mm. Think about the other person that has no permanents left on the field besides lands, because that's what's going to happen here, right? Yep. <laughs> this doesn't seem great. I would be really yeah. pissed off if I came up against a farewell and I could just do nothing for the rest of the game because everything's exiled as well. It's really mm. difficult to get mm. them back as well. It's not even just destroyed. It's all exile, mm. which is even more powerful. Mm. Yeah. And similarly to misusing this i also think that this suffers a lot from like a cyclonic rift-esque kind of effect on people's perception of this for a very important reason is this looks like it is better than all the options as well as often just being better than all the options so generally speaking like you would probably choose to run this over say like cleansing nova because it kind of just is better because you can have both modes if you want or additional modes or whatever Mm -hmm. But on top of that, you also have the problem with, like I've said it a thousand times before, you don't need Cyclonic Rift in a vast majority of decks. Like there are other like mass board white or mass board bounce that like can be used in place of it. Sure, they may not be like as efficient or whatever, but they might suit your deck a little better. When it comes to Farewell, what kind of sucks with this is that if you run this in a mono white deck, there are very few mono white decks that are actually going to be happy to play this in the way that most players are going to play it because it's probably going to be the second to last or last card in hand. And if say, for example, if you're in mono white, because you don't have a whole lot of card draw options. So if you go and use this to like remove everything uh, in mono white, you're probably going to recover the slowest from this because you don't have those catch-up mechanics to the same degree that, say, like, green has or that, like, black has with, like, reanimation stuff or, like, raised dead stuff or whatever. And Okay, well, that, that exiles, but, you know, besides the point. Um, <laughs> but other colors can recover quicker. Green can, like, you know, throw more stuff out faster and blue can draw more cards and everything and, and red can, like, now impulse draw into a bunch more stuff. White doesn't have that yet, you know? So... Mm-hmm. I, I just there are a number of different ways in which I can see this just not being a positive impact on the format in general. 
Not to mention, if this is the kind of board wipe that people are facing all the time, and I don't want to just be incredibly reductive and saying like that this is going to warp metagames and stuff, but if this is the kind of board wipe that people are playing in their decks in your regular pod, it's going to push people away, at least to some noticeable degree away from like artifact decks or enchantment yeah. decks or graveyard decks or whatever and they're going to play less of them which means that they're going to do something else which might not be something that you would actually want to play against you know because like mm-hmm. if i was facing farewell all the time i would probably go okay well i guess i'm just going to stack base combo now because yeah, it's just going to be a pile of not? just really really good cards versus a deck with sort of synergy and a thing yeah. right and that yeah. just doesn't seem fun <laughs> Right. The best thing about Commander is having all these options. If you're letting yeah. Farewell just funnel that, then I guess not many people are going to want to play Commander C, um, depending on people yeah. play, obviously. But. Yeah, and like, it might sound a little doomsay. Like, we're not saying that, like, Farewell is ruining <laughs> Commander or whatever, you know? It's not to that degree. And I don't think it's as bad as, like, Cyclonic Rift or whatever. And even then, Cyclonic Rift is just a thing in Commander, you know? But I do think it is important to sort of just be aware of how cards mm. can be used misused and perceived in your deck building and playing process as well because these kind of different aspects of it can come up to different people when you're playing with or against them Mm. and yeah like will i use farewell in a deck i'm sure i have one that probably is going to be happy with it but like i know i can trust myself to not choose all options every time just because Mm -hmm. but at the same time, maybe I just won't run it because it will start getting a name for itself. Who knows? Like, this is I, a, I don't know. It's the reputation yeah. as well. Uh, one, yeah. one positive thing mm-hmm. is that I know over the, the, the past few months to a, a year or so, when Watsi's been talking about helping White get better cards, one of the mm-hmm. things that they've been talking about is allowing White to have more flexible answers. And while I don't think that this specific design is a good design Mm. i think the idea behind it is very good i like the idea of white having the most flexible kind of answer to situations and Mm. you know we're we're a, a few words on this changed like you know up to two or maybe you know it didn't destroyed instead of exiled like if there are a couple of tweaks i think this would be a a great card and if we get more cards in those or in that kind of vein, I think things are looking really good moving forward. I don't think this is the the poster child for what we want out of white cards <laughs> moving forward, but I think yeah. the idea behind it is correct, and I am excited for that portion of it. Agreed. I think that's a fair assessment and a nice unbiased take, I'd say, <laughs> which is rare for, you know, the cast in general. But like, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's very true. <laughs> Speaking of... Oh, God. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, all right. So... <laughs> all right, here we go. So we, we started with a farewell, and now we're going to go Shintai to the next one. Wow. Which is... Hey. Uh, go Shintai of Life's Origin is three and a green for a 3-4 legendary enchantment creature shrine that reads, Pay Wooberg and tap it, and you return target enchantment card from your graveyard to the battlefield. And whenever Goshintai of Life's Origin or another non-token shrine enters the battlefield under your control, you create a 1-1 colorless shrine enchantment creature token. Now, I'm not particularly well up on Japanese folklore, but I was not aware that there was a shrine that made more shrines. Like, there were some sort of like weird shrine babies. 
I'm not sure if that actually exists or if they were just like, maybe this is a cool idea. I don't know, but it's interesting. I just thought they wanted to see what to make a shrine commander. And that was literally it. Yeah. (laughs) I would would like to point out like how terrifying the face is on Goshintai. Assuming it is their face. face. I just thought it was foliage. Flowers and stuff. Facial foliage. Angelo, (laughs) let me hear your take on this one. So... I do like the idea that they wanted to make a shrine commander, mm-hmm. but I <laughs> God, I feel bad that I'm starting off negative on two cards. But we've seen this before, where mm-hmm. they tailor make a commander for a specific strategy, and that commander ends up being so good that it pushes out any other kind of commander. For that strategy, uh, think mm. think Edgar Markov yeah. as a good example for vampires. Perfect, yeah. And I feel like Goshintai is that for shrines. It's just it you you know how to build it. It is you know enchantress based shrines, and you just put all the shrines in, and you put all the enchantress stuff in, and then there's your deck, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of builds up, and then you do your thing every game, like. I, like, it sounds silly that I'm complaining that you're kind of doing the same thing every game when I go, yeah, I would be more okay if you played the five-color shrine as a rule zero commander, and that one tutors up shrines. Like, mm. I mm. I know that that sounds silly when I'm, you know, saying, oh, you get the same style of, like, game every game from it. Yeah. But while you're able to tutor stuff up with the five-color shrine... And it gives you a panharmonicon effect for all the shrine effects. It doesn't grow exponentially with every shrine you get and keeps yeah. recurring the shrines and keeps mm. going. Like, it feels very snowball-y, which isn't mm. inherently a bad thing. But when you combine the snowballiness with how the decks are going to end up looking so similar all the time... Yeah. yeah. you Like, you know exactly what you're walking into when you see Goshintai of Life's Origin across from the table yeah there's no real way no real other way to build this is there which is the problem unless you just you know do a shrineless and you just use it as a five color enchantress yeah um, without the shrines but even then that just doesn't feel right right yep yeah yeah i think the fact that they made it such a heavy shrine based commander is it's also green for me easy just to yeah ramp into and just play on like turn three turn two the the problem that i think i have with it just on in terms of design is that it's so heavy on shrines that it doesn't really have an alternate mode like Mm. it is a shrine commander sure you can have it as like we were talking before the we hit record here angelo you were saying like you know they they added like a slight variation to it to give it the option to be something else like it could be a five color enchantress enchantment kind of deck mm-hmm. where you can return target enchantment card not just a shrine from the graveyard to the battlefield but if that's all it's doing it's kind of not great because the real power in this is when mm-hmm. shrines come into play you make more shrines which then make all the shrines go mm-hmm. absolutely bananas and, like, to your point, like, the real power is the shrine portion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're saying, oh, well, you know, all it can do is, you know, for five colors of mana is bring an enchantment back. I I think that's a good, like, you could have gotten rid of the shrine portion of the card. Unlike in every other format in Magic, being a more colors is a good thing in Commander. Mm-hmm. And so having 
an enchantment creature that, for five colors of mana, can recur your enchantments is a good enough commander on its own and doesn't absurdly push shrines but still gives you a shrine to build around. Yeah. Like, I I think a lot of the problems with commander comes from, oh, well, we need to add five colors to this, but in every other format, five colors is a restriction. But in commander, yeah. it's a bonus. And so yeah. now you get to do whatever you were doing, but with every single color. And I think something might be getting lost in translation there where like yeah i want the shrine deck to be five colors mm. but does it need to like be this strong does it need to have something so specific to it yeah i don't know it it, it could it could have said whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield you make the one one because then you're also pushing the shrines and a five color enchantment deck if you want like yes that's raising the power when i was just complaining about the power but it's also opening up the strategy to more than just shrines yeah i think i think you're right because like every single aspect of this you look at it and you're like okay why did they make it so easy to cast okay why did they make their stats pretty good anyway why did they make it so that you know it all like every single part of it is is upside Mm. and well, it's a, it's a green card, so everything's upside. Well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But to, the shrine parts are so powerful that a testament to this is that I played a game against a Goshintai quote-unquote brew last night. But let's be real. Like, these decks build themselves, right? Like, yeah. once you add the lands and the shrines, you're, you're at, like, 70 or 80 cards already. Mm-hmm. Like, from there, you just fill in, like, your staples or whatever, and the deck's done, you know? And it's one of those commanders that builds itself and is of a certain minimum power level. Like, you can't really power it down too much at all. Now, I know I know one of our patrons, uh, Joe Cheney, if you're listening, by the way, hello. And also, please don't take this too personally. This is uh, just an abstract thing. But Joe Cheney's design is actually really cool because he's chosen to go with a Karuga companion to restrict it in some degree mm-hmm. because restrictions are cool and interesting and that is a cool way and it's the I think it's the only way that I've seen so far to make this a lesser powered or um, differently built shrine commander and like I said I was playing against one last night where it was like you know I said quote unquote brew but ultimately built itself and the entire table had to fight to make sure that they did nothing because if they did anything then one turn later and they were roughly four or five turns ahead in resources and like you just you can't come back from that you know so it's one of those commanders that like if you're fine with getting hard targeted to ensure that everyone else can play the game um because sometimes when you are given the opportunity to go off you will really go off then it's a perfectly fine commander if you're in with that and you're okay with that. But again, it is of a certain minimum power level. Like I can't build a low power shrine deck with Goshintai at the helm. It's just not a feasible thing whatsoever. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like don't get me don't get me wrong, Goshintai lovers. You know, like don't get me wrong. Nothing, like, nothing against it. It's at all. cool that there are there is a shrine committed commander finally after however mm. many years. And, you know, it lends into the law, Camigal, which is great and stuff, but it doesn't need to be this powerful. You can People mm. are going to play it anyway because people love the flavor of Camigal. It doesn't need to be busted for people to play it. Like, people yeah. are going to build shrine decks anyway because there are people who played original Camigal and love the shrines and love all these quirky tribes. You don't have yeah. to just make it a busted commander anyway, right? You're not, <laughs> you're not obligated to make it super powerful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Okay, so Rats we have talked, we've talked bad about two cards. <laughs> Let's talk good. Let's talk good. Angelo, tell me about Lion Sash in Commander. Yeah, so on here I have Lion Sash and all the reconfigure creatures, but like I want to highlight mm-hmm. all of them, but specifically Lion Sash because Lion Sash is doing the thing that we wanted Farewell to do, where it's it has multiple options and lots of flexibility, but in a way that isn't oppressive. Lion Sash, for those who don't know, it's a 1-1 one, one for one and a white. It's a, an artifact equipment cat, and mm. you can pay a white to exile a permanent from a graveyard and put a 1-1 one, one counter on it. And it can also reconfigure onto a creature and transfer all of the po- uh, the the power and toughness bonuses that it has to it. So it's a scavenging ooze, it grows on its own, and then you can shuffle it around. Yeah. It's just a very good card. I was doing the white review for EDA Trek. It is closer to scavenging ooze than it isn't, where you're trading the, the life that you gain from scavenging ooze for the ability to hit any permanent and grow, but you also have to remember that it's an artifact and an equipment so things mm-hmm. like open the armory or steel shaper's gift can tutor it out it is an artifact for all of your artifact stuff like all of those things i think actually make it better than scavenging ooze in a lot of situations there's just yeah. a lot more synergy built into artifact stuff again all of the reconfigured creatures are really cool it gives the equipment decks another like angle of attack where I know I, I have an Arden and Krom Jeskai equipment deck and yeah. there are some times when you know I draw an opening hand I'm like oh I have a lot of creatures but no equipment or I have a lot of equipment and no creatures and the yeah. reconfigured creatures you know are both like it'll be great sometimes yeah. to go oh okay you know I have Acquisition Octopus and I play it and <laughs> it's just a tutu and like I can put stuff onto it or if I have something on board, I can just put the octopus onto that creature. It just it gives yeah. equipment decks a lot more flexibility, which I think is something that they need because you're usually pigeonholed into trying to strike this very, very delicate balance between how many creatures do I have? How many equipment do I have? If I have too much of one, I'm not going to see enough of the other. And... Yeah. You know, after a board wipe or two, and if you're only running eight or ten creatures in an equipment deck, you might be out of creatures. Who knows? So having extra that fills both buckets is really awesome. I think you're right. Yeah, there's there's some of the reconfigured creatures aren't amazing, but a lot of them are just neat. They're very mm-hmm. good. Uh, the one thing that I like most about reconfigured creatures is if they are equipped to a creature yep. and the table gets hit with a board wipe. They pop off. They unequip and just become creatures. Yeah. Like, That's like just Bestow. super neat. Yeah. I just really like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and like, I don't know, there, there's stuff like Rabbit Battery, where you just put on a so creature. Good. Yeah, it's so good. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's a 1-1 one, one for 1, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the reconfigure is also 1, and it gives the, the creature 1-1 one, one in haste. And so you yeah. just put it on a creature, and if anyone board wipes, you're just like, oh, okay, well, now I have a 1-1, one, one, and whatever comes in is just going to have haste from now on. Like, that yeah. is a really, really good tool yeah. for aggressive or equipment decks. For sure. Now, we were speaking about equipment there. Another mm-hmm. sort of theme 
within Kamigawa was vehicles. And there was one in particular that I think was kind of skimmed over. That one is imposter mech. So for one and a blue, you get a 3-1 vehicle with crew three. Okay. But you may have imposter mech enter the battlefield as a copy of a creature an opponent controls, except it's a vehicle artifact with crew three and it loses all other card types. So there are a couple of sort of restrictions to this, like most clone effects. And this one is a little different to all of the others that we've seen before, because first of all, this only comes in as a copy of a creature an opponent controls. Mm-hmm. But also when it enters, it's not a creature, which is very interesting and very, very weird because you can you can have this come down as a copy of an opponent's devoted druid if they have that on board. And then suddenly you have infinite mana because you can tap it immediately. <laughs> you can then put a minus one, minus one counter on it. And because it's not a creature, it doesn't matter. And then it just untaps and then you just go infinite. Mm. Like that's a one card infinite provided your opponent has a way to, you know, do that like they have a devoted druid or something. So that in itself is exciting and cool. Like being able to just like steal a random, I guess I go infinite now is really awesome. But like you can do other weird stuff with it as well, especially creatures that have like tap abilities because this can tap immediately. So I'm struggling to think right now because I didn't write them down before the episode. I'm struggling (laughs) to think of specific examples in which this is useful, but it's a it's effectively a two mana clone effect, which like the only other one that I can think of is like Phantasmal Image. Mm-hmm. And that's really good. Mm-hmm. And this is different, but I don't think in this scenario different is bad or worse. I think it's just quirkier, I think is the, the better way to put it, I think, because mm-hmm. you can still make it a creature for whatever reason you might want. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't think of like exact circumstances where I would choose to have this, but it feels like the kind of thing that I would just put in decks to get random weird circumstances from, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I think instead of maybe comparing it to Phantasmal Image, mm-hmm. it might be better to look at it as a slightly more restrictive Phyrexian Metamorph, where... Right. Both of these are artifacts, both of these are clones. Any mm. any deck that might want Metamorph that isn't using it strictly to copy its own stuff might want this. You know, all of all of the artifact synergies that work with Metamorph work with this one. And, mm. you know, if you're in a if you're in the market for another clone effect in your artifact decks, yeah, you can't hit your own stuff, but you know, your opponents are hopefully playing some good cards anyway. And if they're not, yeah. hopefully you're winning. So, it, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's not a lot of choice in a pot of four, right? So it's yeah. always something to hit. And plus you can get it off a trophy mage, which is nice. Ooh, that's a good one. Can't get it off a trinket mage, unfortunately. But no, trophy mage will I was going to say, know <laughs> <laughs> how much you love a trinket mage. Um, moving on, though, we have one or two little things to say about a mono white legendary that we've actually already talked about for We Pioneer. love this card. We are, we are, we are fans of Lipaws in this, in this cast. Lipaw's Emperor's Voice. Two mana for a 2-2. Fox Advisor. Whenever an aura enters the battlefield under your control, if you cast it, you may search your library for an aura card with mana value less than or equal to that card with a different name than each aura you control. Put that card onto the battlefield, attach to Lipaw's Emperor's Voice, and shuffle. This is pretty good. Very good card. Yeah. does a lot of things. Mm. It's very well-costed. Auras are really fun to play in Commander because it's budget. It doesn't have to be super expensive. Mono White is just fun to play in Commander anyway, I find, but I'm 
probably biased because I've played a Ketra in the past, mm. but like I've sung his praises in Pioneer, and there's just so much you can do with this in Commander because there's just so many different auras you can pick up, like mono white. Yeah. So, yeah, this is the fuzziest bogle I've ever seen. Fuzziest <laughs> bogle. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's just, it's just good. It's card advantage in white, and it does so in a way that's really powerful. Yeah. Uh, having a toolbox and card advantage in your command zone is very strong and Mm -hmm. that is what's led me to the take that this could very well become one of the most played mono white commanders of all time Mm -hmm. i think once once people realize exactly how ridiculous this can be i think people will start copying up pretty quickly yeah right now just for those curious on edhrex she is already the ninth most built Mono White Commander, uh, and this is after what a month of seeing the card. Uh, she has yeah. 840 decks. Uh, she's going to pass out Lyra Dawnbringer, who's at 850. Adeline Resplendent mm-hmm. Cathar is at 865. Her biggest hurdle will probably be Avacyn after that. Yeah. But when when she gets up into top five area, she's really going to have to compete with Sram since he's yeah. so like open ended and he just draws the cards. But yeah. I think, like you said, having having card advantage and the toolbox in the command zone might actually give her the edge when compared to SRAM. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that that she gets there. She is very strong and seems very fun. Yeah. Now, Angelo, you've popped in here as well. The March cycle, yes, from Neon Dynasty. Tell us a little bit about these cards. Uh so all of the marches. I'm not going to list them all here. Um, just because there's five of them. But uh, aside from the green one, they're all really good <laughs> in uh, in EDH. They are pseudo-free spells. They're all their color and X. And you can exile a card of that color to help pay for two. Or you can mm-hmm. obviously just dump all your mana into it. And I like balanced free spells. I think having cheap free ways to interact with things is healthy and these are those you're actually like they can be free but you're actually paying a cost to make them free mm-hmm. like the the white one is a path to exile for creatures or not even a path uh, it just exiles the thing yeah. and it, it can hit artifacts creatures or enchantments mm-hmm. but this the mana value has to be x or less and so you know if they have some kind of if they have some kind of uh pesky artifact like a dark steel forge that's nine mana if you have seven you normally couldn't do anything but you know if you exile a white card you can help pump yourself up you know those yeah. extra two mana like the flexibility is very good the ability to be free is very good and mm-hmm. aside from the green one which isn't particularly good in commander because it asks you to have multiple creatures of the same name yeah. Um I think they are a net positive for the format as opposed to a net negative, mm. which free spells can often be. Yeah. One thing I would like to list about the two of these is the interesting sort of difference between March of Otherworldly Light, which is the white one you were just talking about, mm-hmm. and March of Reckless Joy, which I have been playing in Lelia, mm-hmm. the Blade Reforged. So that one is, as an additional cast, cast uh, the spell you may exile any number of red cards and each one pays for two. And you exile the top X cards of your library and you can play up to two of them. So what I have found while playing with both of those 
is that, like you were saying, the Darksteel Forge kind of thing where you're trying to hit a nine drop, that's really hard yep. for most other things. But with this, you can put most of the mana towards it and then like use your cards to get a little bit over the top. It feels like that has greater scope later in the game mm-hmm. by exiling cards. Whereas the March of Reckless Joy is kind of the other way around. It would prefer to use it earlier in the game by exiling a card or two from your hand in order to do a, like a quick dig to try and find something. Mm-hmm. Which I have found myself doing a lot with Lelia. Like the best, the best mode I think on March of Reckless Joy is to pay red and then exile a red card. Which means you just impulse draw two. You've yep. paid one mana, you've gotten rid of one card out of your hand. It's like a, an instant speed... Impulse draw equivalent of Tormenting Voice, yeah. And that's often the way I use it. But sometimes just being able to late game go, uh, in your end step, I'm going to tap six and I'm going to exile these two cards and I'm going to look at the top like 10 cards and until the end of next turn I get to pick two. Like that's a really, really good setup as well. So the flexibility on these are just phenomenal. Yeah. Being able to pivot between a Tormenting Voice or a Dig Through Time is very powerful. Right? Yeah. And, like, I know I, I might have given a bad example with, like, Darksteel Forge, but, you know, you, you have the flexibility to hit big things with the white one. Yeah. Or if your opponent has been, has an Esper Sentinel, you could just, okay, cool, one white and, you know, pay one mana and you just get rid of it. Like, the flexibility yeah. with any of these is, I think, the, the real draw here. Um, you know, even the blue one, you know, you, you phase out X creatures, you can use that as a fog or you can use that as a pseudo Teferi's protection. Yeah. Um, so I I like all, I like all but the green one. It's really I nice used, to say. I, remember, I opened the um, the blue one at pre-release and I used it to phase out my opponent's creatures so I could kill them. Yep. <laughs> nice. <is> <laughs> so it's just like yeah, yep, phase out your creatures. Just turn sideways. Um, but no, I, I do like the blue one quite a bit as well. The the phasing is just really nice in those sort of mm. kind of in those decks. I find. Thinking of that now, I might actually want to put March of Swirling Mist, the blue one, into Octavia. Probably, um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah that's good it works both that's ways good. like you can use it defensively or proactively <laughs> yeah. I really like that yeah final thing I'll say on March of Otherworldly Light the white one which in my opinion is probably the best one just in general but I have also learned that it hits Urza Saga for the single white mana just mm. you know found that out the hard way <laughs> it is like prismatic ending in like Pioneer as well which is worth mentioning too essentially yeah yeah, for sure. If you play modern and you know how good prismatic ending is, yeah. probably picks them up. Now, the last card that we're going to talk about here is less to do about its less to do with its impact in commander and more on its presentation, its perception, and how it's going to influence the game going forward. And that is Hidetsugu Devouring Chaos. So I'll read the card anyway. It's three and a black for a 4-4 legendary ogre demon and you can pay black and sacrifice a creature to scry two or you can pay two and a red. You tap it and you exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn and when you exile a non-land card this way, Hidetsugu Devouring Chaos deals damage equal to the exiled card's mana value to any target. So the card itself is fine. It seems like an interesting commander to play with. It's got a little bit of sacrifice synergy. It's got a little bit of exile stuff. It's got a little bit of direct damage. It's cool. It's a lot of things I like. What's interesting here is the standard version of this card costs 23 cents according to Scryfall. Now, this is the one that was given the Neon Border treatment where you have the regular sort of soft glow border on it, which is 81 cents according to Scryfall. 
And it has that nice fancy Kamigawa Neon Dynasty soft glow frame. But then there's a few other different versions of it with the soft glow frame being replaced by one that looks very, very similar, only it's got neon colors. So there's a neon green one, there's a neon blue one, a neon yellow one, and a neon red one. And these are in very small circulation. There's significantly fewer numbers of these. And the cheapest of these ones is the blue one, which according to Scryfall right now, is $138. And the most expensive one is the red one, which is coming in, again, according to Scryfall, at $879. Easy. I believe the red one's like 1% or less or something, right? It's like 1% of boosters or something ridiculous like that, right? Super rare. Yeah, yeah, super, super rare. Now, I'm not on board with the concept of mythic rares, but that's because you're making actual game pieces harder to get. I am much more on board with something like this, where these are special collector versions of game pieces that you can already get for 20 cents, like we said, or if you want to go and like invest or whatever, if you care about like the finance side of things, or if you just want to have like a status symbol or something, you can do, you can get something like this, or if you just want to get it for collection purposes or whatever, you can do this stuff as well. Like I like this idea because I can build a Hitotsuga deck and have my 20 cent commander. And that's great, and that's fine. But what are your thoughts? Like I've I've already shown my bias on this, but what are you? What are your thoughts, uh, Angelo and Emma, on this kind of idea where you have a version of a card that is obscenely expensive because it has been put into forced rarity? I am okay with it on the same basis as you that there is a very affordable version available that is not fancy that people can play. And let's be honest, the card's not that is okay, right? It's not super powerful nor super busted right i think i'd have more of an issue with this if it was on like a a planeswalker or you know something that has a deep association with magic this sort of stuff is fine because you know what i can just ignore it if someone opens one great i'm happy for them but it doesn't i'm i don't play magic to collect stuff i understand like wizards of the coast are looking tapping to collect and stuff because stuff like pokemon has really kicked off on the whole collectible aspect they have these super rare sort of Holo frames or whatever they call them. I'm not quite clued up on Pokemon, but you have that kind of thing, right? But yeah, I could just ignore this. I'm like, sweet, there's a thousand dollar version of a Hidesku card that's bright red. Awesome. Happy if you open a lottery ticket. Good for you, sort of thing. And um, otherwise, I'm just like, I'm happy it exists for people, but I don't need to get mad about it because it's never going to affect me. I think that's my take. Mm. And I expect to see this in every standard set going forward. Like, I'd be very surprised if Nika Penna doesn't have this. I think this is the baseline going forward. Yeah, um, those are my general thoughts as well. Uh, I don't think it takes anything away. It, That's it just adds. The only thing that I'm going to say, because we've mm-hmm. seen this with every new thing moving forward, and, and, and I could be wrong. I'll make a prediction. I could be wrong. Come back in a year or two and make fun of me. That's fine. Right now, we see a single card like this. Mm-hmm. The next set might get two, might get three. The next set, it might be every rare. The next set, it could be all the Phyrexian cards. The next set, it could be every mythic. Like, when everything is special, nothing is. And one of the reasons Mm -hmm. why you can say, well, this this one's 20 cents and this one is $800 is because the only card in the set to have this treatment is Hidetsugu. Mm Mm-hmm. But if every single card 
in the set or every rare or every whatever starts getting this level of treatment, mm-hmm. the prices are going to come down on them. It's not going to yeah. make them special anymore because it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, do you want the blue version of that or the yellow version of this or the green version of that one? Like, yeah. I don't know. And and this could be me me being, you know, too cynical about it. But I like the idea of, you know, Hidetsugu might not be a crazy commander, but he was not integral to the original Kamigawa story and he's still around. Mm-hmm. And I think that he was a good choice to do this on because he's one of the very, very few returning characters in the set. But what, like, what do you do moving forward when you go to a new place like New Capenna, if you have something mm-hmm. like this, is it going to be an incredibly powerful card where, you know, the, the cheapest one ends up being $20 or $30 or yeah. whatever? What if they did this with Boseju instead of Hidetsugu? You know, like... Mm-hmm. And and again, in those situations, you don't really lose anything. Yes, the, the base for the card is more expensive, but the more special things you do, it's going to impact all of them. And yeah. that's where we're going to run into problems if that if it goes that way. And knowing how Watsi works, it probably will. <laughs> yeah. But I, I would like to be wrong. I would like to have one single really cool chase card out of every set as opposed to multiple, but I yeah. just, I don't see that happening. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, that is pretty reasonable. Uh, one final thing I will say on this that I think was a neat thing was that they did send some of, I believe it was the yellow neon ones, yes, out to some different creators and stuff. Now, the one little problem I did have with it is that they sent them out to the bigger creators that, you know, might already be able to afford to buy one of those for themselves to show off anyway, as opposed to giving it to, say, like some of the smaller creators or whatever. That's just how life is going to be. That's just how it is. The bigger creators get more people looking at their stuff. That's why they send the nicer packages to them. I yeah. get it. That's how it is. I believe the yellow ones are going to WPN stores anyway at some point. Mm. So I think the price is going to go down. I believe, like, I think that's what I remember reading. It's just mm. the red, blue, and green ones that are going to be the ones in boosters i think the yellow ones are they'll get sent out to stores eventually so that price will go down i know yeah. it doesn't help your point but i believe they're going to be more in circulation soonish distribution yeah. aside obviously because the yeah. world's on fire at the minute but yeah yeah so yeah I just, I just thought we would touch on that because it is an interesting one that you know, when it did come out and people were talking about it, it was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how expensive they're going to go. And now we're starting to see the actual prices not quite level out, but they're they're starting to sort of sit around the places yeah, where they're not likely to vary too far from. Wanting like a $1,000 store credit for the red one, for example. Like they, they clearly want them because they know they can flip it into an incredible profit because they're collectible and that's what these sort of outlets want. That's it. That is it entirely. All right, so that is pretty much what we wanted to cover generally with uh, Neon Dynasty. To wrap it all up, Emma, hit us with a little bit of Q&A. So we do have a little bit of Q&A this week. So we'll start off with mm-hmm. Joe Cheney from Twitter, and they ask, are we getting triomes in New Capenna or New Capybara? I want to say yes, because I would love to see complete land bases just kind of going mm-hmm. forward. And New Capenna is going to be a, a multicolor set. I believe it's Shards. So there is a good chance we'll get the other triomes in this. Yeah. They may not be called triomes though, because it's not really flavorful to New Capenna, I don't think, even though mm. it's a made-up word. 
but I would love to see them in there. And I don't see why not you would put these trilands into a mic cover set. Yeah. mine to kind of take. Yeah. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, I see everyone talking about New Capenna being a shard-colored set. I haven't seen any, like, official confirmation that the three colors are shards. They just said three colors. And, like, I think you're correct. Mm-hmm. I believe I, think... I, I heard it from a Watsy designer. I uh, can't remember okay. who, but I remember seeing something on Twitter. They said it was a shard set because because okay. Ikoria was the wedge, mm-hmm. so this is the shard. Uh, okay. I believe. And all right, if, if that's how it's how it is, that makes sense. I just hadn't seen mm-hmm. anything. I remember seeing something. I can't remember who said it, but mm-hmm. it was someone from Watsy confirmed it, and it's like okay, cool. All right, awesome. Uh, I actually think shards need some help. Wedges have been mm. getting a lot of help recently, so so help out those shards. Mm. But um, it'd be cool to get cycling back, uh, just not as nutty as it was in Aquaria, please. <laughs> but no, no, I want nutty cycling. Let's go. Stop that. Great. I, if I right, my we can get triomes. <laughs> we could not get triomes. That's fine. But if we don't have a motorcycle with cycling, I'm going to be very <laughs> upset if cycling comes back in this set. And there isn't a motorcycle with cycling. I don't care but anymore. It needs there cycling a, too, right? Yeah, but, correct. But Angelo, but Angelo, <laughs> you don't you don't cycle a motorcycle. You ride a motorcycle. You cycle a bike. So it would have to be a bike with cycling. No, or it could be a motorbike, as the Brits say it. Yeah, but you don't cycle a motorbike. You still just you don't know ride that. a motorbike. You just ride a motorbike. You don't cycle a Angelo, motorbike. Angelo, I, I rode motorbikes for like four years, and now I cycle bikes. <laughs> I don't ride a bicycle, and I don't cycle a motorbike. Thank you very much. You don't, but you're obviously doing it wrong. <laughs> You've no idea how many blood vessels just popped in my eyes. Anyway, um, them. Um, so next question from Ed the Maze ninety seven. He said on Twitter, "Who do you think is the best potential Jeskai vehicle commander?" No one. The, you seem very sad about for, that. Yeah, Watsi for some reason doesn't want to give guy an artifact commander. Or a vehicle commander, or whatever. Like I don't know. Pick Ruhan. He can crew like every vehicle, but like. I don't know. Also play Katori and shoot Shirakai, Shorakai, the new mm. ones like from yeah. the pre-con because like they're really good. I I like them a lot more than I do a Jeskai colored commander. You know, trying to stretch mm. it out or or hear me out. You can put Depala with one of them and rule zero a vehicles <laughs> commander in Jeskai. Mm. There you go. And they also say, okay. speaking of vehicles, much of the machines is under two dollars and is an awesome anthem effect for vehicle decks, so you don't have to crew them late game. Hmm. Oh, this Not bad. And then we have a question from Barbarian Riddle on Twitter, and they ask, on the scale of one to freedom, how excited is Angelo to build Guile Sonic Soldier, and what will you be doing with it if you're doing anything with it? Gosh, I really like him, but I have no idea what to do with him. <laughs> um. <laughs> Because, like, he accrues counters when he EGBs and attacks, and he can, you know, deal four damage to something or get indestructible, and that's really cool. But I don't I don't know what I would do with that. Maybe maybe finally it's a dress guy deck for flying crane technique, but other than Ooh, that... that costs spicy. Yeah, oh but God. other than that, I'm just... I'm unsure. We'll see, though. I don't know. Uh, that, that said, I am on the freedom end of one to freedom. Okay. And then lastly, we've got a question from Bo Schwartz on the BMCast Discord, and they ask, when do we get to play in the BMCast Landia Open? I'm guessing this is a reference to who Landia Open, and whenever we're going to organise our own event. I mean, I'm down. I mean, I'm down too. We need to figure out the nuances, like, it needs to be budget, Mm. I'm guessing. That would be good. 
we can do commentary on it. We can we can do commentary because we already do a podcast, and Angelo can sub mm-hmm. in. Frankie could be color commentator as well. Yes, God, there's nothing more pleasing than his little wh. <laughs> <laughs> but look, we have three people here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can pick three formats. <gasps> Te- teams of three. Oh. And oh. whoever wins gets oh, okay. control of the cast. Oh, God. What? There, therefore... It's not your there- podcast, Angelo. <laughs> <laughs> he can't make these therefore, decisions. <laughs> I'm trying to weasel in here. What? No. I'm trying to give everyone else an honest chance at the crown. I'm here to help defend your honor. <laughs> Angelo, I, I already told you how many blood vessels are bursting in my eyes. Do I have to tell you how many more? I would like to keep Scott around, thanks, Angelo. <laughs> is, this, is this your plan? I don't know. No, no, you know what? You know what? If you we know what, lose, actually, we all go. <laughs> you know oh. what? You know what? I'm fine with this. I'm fine with this plan. If whoever takes the crown of like control of the BM cast, and I'm like wiggling these quotation marks uh, <laughs> quite hard here. in the air. Uh, Whoever takes control can then also have the uh, the added work of editing it to the same degree that I do. They're yeah. more than welcome to. Yeah. I can't do that. No, they have to. <laughs> That's part of the responsibility. <laughs> Thank you for listening to us here at the BMcast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Tom Telford, Anthony Burchett, Christopher McCarthy, Edward Whitney, Evil Vanilla Glaze, Ian Holland, Jeff Eaton, Jonas Kong, Kilgore Trout 503, Matthew O'Neill, Max Makes Magic, MF Peaches, Minnie Maya, Morgan Roberts, Munsu Light, Nicholas Martin, Ozan Kaplaner, Scott Hanch, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Zachary Morrow, Tim Newman, and Desmond Ramirez. And at the Stonks tier, we have a nice planeswalker, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz Madsen, Brian A. Madden, Coffee, Everett Brogan, Nerblin, Mickey Paris, Scott Creech, Seamus MC, Simon Grip, Jamie Coyle, and Clyde Anderson. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We cannot thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your names to this list of lovely and wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.